expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Welcome one and all nerds to episode 77 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where much like the right arm of my broadcast colleague, it's the same backwards as forwards. <laughs> oh, that's just so going to let that sit for just a second. Oh, that's so true. and so perfect. <laughs> for anybody that doesn't know, go to down and nerdy podcast.com. <laughs> Look at our many photos. We're standing with you guys. I'm James with them alongside <laughs> the very man I'm talking about. The very handicapable son of a bitch that is me, the Merc with one arm, Nick Pataglia. As a matter of fact, I mean, <laughs> if you want the in-person experience, oh. uh, you know, they just announced uh, Tidewater Comic Con 2016. Yep. Going to be coming to the, of course, Virginia Beach Convention Center, May 21st and 22nd of 2016. And we've been there the last couple of years, had a lot of fun. And I think, in my opinion, they just had their first round of guest announcements, really stepping it up this year. Yeah, before we get to the guests, I want to say what else is going to be there. They got four Batmobiles. Oh, that is going to be so great. They got the Tumblr. They got the Keaton. They got the one. It looks like from, I want to say, Batman Forever. I think it's I think it's Batman and Robin. Is it Batman and Robin? I think it's Batman. Because the, look the stripes on the side. Well, the oh, two yeah. are very similar anyway. But I think it has that like Mr. Freeze-esque look oh, yeah. that they went then, for. Then James, of course. The Batman 66 car. Ah, yes. They had that there last year, and I was I was drooling all over it. And I didn't actually get to get in it. This this year, I'm gonna I'm climbing inside. I'm, I'm climbing inside the key, and I want... I'm, fuck it, I'm climbing inside all of them. I don't yeah, why shit. not? Why not do that? I'm, I mean, we, we're gonna just crawl... Especially the Tumblr, you can, like, crawl all over it and stuff, and it's tank, so it doesn't matter. Imagine somebody, like, got in the Tumblr, and all of a sudden... Or I can see Cody doing this. Getting inside the Tumblr... And then launching the bat pod, I'll see Cody. There goes Cody. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Whatever you do when you climb on it, don't take a tumble off the tumbler. Uh, this just, early? This just, this early? Just be careful is all I'm saying. There should be signs. Well, let's get to who's going to be there. Of course, they announced the first four guests that are going to be there. Some big names. Of course, John Wesley Ship is going to be there. Yeah. Chris Claremont. John DeLancey and Steve Blum are going to be there. And those are some very, very recognizable names, especially the first two. So, I mean, John Wesley Shipp, he goes to a lot of cons. He's always a great guest. Uh, Claremont, the the insight that Claremont can bring Uh into the X-Men, not just as they were starting, but where they're at now and how, you know, there's different variations of the characters. I can't wait to talk to him about that. Oh, I know that, and just I mean, you know, John Glancy, you know, Star Trek, and you know, getting the Trekkies in there, which is nice, and you know, Steve Blum, who's a very famous voice actor. Uh, you say he's on he's on Star Wars Rebels right now. Yeah, but he's doing Star Wars Rebels. He's done a ton of video games and animated series. He was Lex Luthor in uh, in Throne of Atlantis. Nice for for DC Comics. Oh, that's DC right. Comics animated releases. So. He's done a lot of stuff, and we, of course, we had Courtney Taylor on on last week, who's a voice actress as well, and he's done his resume is huge. <laughs> I mean, go go IMDb him or, or Wiki him, and and you you tell me how much stuff that this guy's been in. There's if we listed it all, the show would be over, and, I, and we don't want that. I think first day of the con, we had to wear matching flash shirts. Oh, no doubt. 
No doubt about it. And, and since Claremont's going to be there, I mean, it literally makes me want to go out and buy like a, an X-Men shirt. I've got a nice, sweet, like, 90s, late 80s X-Men shirt that I'm going to rock, I think. Yeah. I think I've already decided, but I, I might get something. By the way, should we have the uh, day two? Should we have the nerd shirt debate like we had last year? Uh, if we're, if we're wearing different shirts, I think, yeah. But if we're going <laughs> to, if we're going to rock the same kind of shirt, then it's like, what's not the love? You know? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, if you do want more information on Tidewater Comic Con, of course, I'm not going to say we're going to be there, but we're going to be there. Yeah. Uh, if you want more information on Tidewater Comic Con, go to TidewaterComicCon.com. You can also find them on Facebook. It's Tidewater Comic Con. It's C-O-M-I-C-O-N. If you're looking for them on Facebook and hopefully we'll see you there. I mean, come on out. It doesn't matter where you live. Come on out and see us. Exactly. Well, that's going to do it for our intro. We'll come up next. We got two new comics this week. What do we like about them? What maybe didn't we like about them? Find out next on what we're reading. This is comic book writer Brendan Fletcher, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, boys and girls, where we got those long boxes. We discuss what we're reading this week. Of course, this segment always brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards over on Aragorn Boulevard. Go see Bob and all the great comics and everything he has. Hey, you got a birthday coming up. He's got some pop figures for you. You can go pick up there as well. A bunch of other stuff as well. So, James, I'm going to go first. And uh, I know it's kind of been a little while since uh, we really did some major publishers. So, you know, by major, I mean DC and Marvel. And since doing Star Wars episode, issue 7, I decided to go back to Marvel and do a comic that actually was really, really good this week. Okay. Um, uh, Magneto number 21 from Marvel. And this, of course, is the ending. It's the final issue of the series. Of course, the series written by our good friend Colin Bunn. Art by Gabriel Hernandez, Walta. Colors by Jordi Blair. And letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Now... I will say this, a lot of Marvel's runs and their series now, they're pretty much ending the same way because of Secret Wars, where the two worlds are coming in, they're colliding, and people are going to die and stuff like that. Uh, so I will say that this is going to be kind of a spoiler. Not heavy, but I just want to give you that idea. I'm not going to say what happens in the end. I will just say, no going into this final issue, this is why what happens at the end happens. This is kind of why the last... Few series. This was announced the whole last days of Magneto. This is why and how things happen. Because um, otherwise, it'd be impossible for you to talk about it at all. Because, yeah, you know, just the way Marvel's going in general. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, pretty much where we left off, issue twenty. Like I said, another world. Like I said, we see series prior to secret. It's a series prior to Secret Wars, but how we see everything, we see wars happening. It's about to collide with Earth, and Magneto pretty much is doing everything he can using all of his magnetism, all of his power, even s- stealing his daughter Polaris's powers to amp up his own in attempts to save the world. Oh, wow. And pretty much this whole issue deals with, I mean, well, I mean, the, the comic says last day, so might as well just go out and say it. it. It's pretty much while he's trying his best to save the world by, you know, shooting electricity out of every orifice of his body pretty much at this point uh, to, to pretty much save the, the Earth, He's pretty much reliving part of his life as life's kind of flashed before his eyes. So like there's like a part where Xavier, he's with Xavier and the X-Men and the United Nations comes and pretty much says, gives him the little doctrine and says, you know, Genosha is yours and everything mm-hmm. else and you can do what you want with it. And so pretty much he's lived certain parts of his life. You know, he has the old suit in there, which looks pretty cool. And what's cool about the art too by uh, Hernandez Walta is the fact that 
when you see the first flashback, it actually opens on a flashback where he's got his red suit on and stuff like that. It really looks like a comic from the 80s or the 70s. It has oh, that cool. old school look. But, you know, but the thing is, it was to the point where it was so convincing, I actually felt the paper. And to see if it actually had that old school kind of uh-huh. paper feel. And it did. It had the, that, that, that you know smoothness to it. So it was kind of like a mind fuck in a sense. So it was kind of like when you're reading X-Men 92 and you're, you're almost taken right back to the animated series in the 90s. So this had that same feel as they kind of went back in Magneto's life. That's really cool. Yeah, that's really, really awesome. Um, like I said, the way that this ended was really, really good. The way that it ended, I mean, it wasn't an emotional ending, but it's just like here's a guy who is just sacrificing everything he has to save it. And it's sad. He has... I'm not going to go too deep into it, but he has his final, the, the final words he has in the series. And he's saying like, even though and it's sad, because it's a, it's a true kind of revelation of his character where he says, you know, I've done so many horrendous things in my life. So me saving the world, even though I'm pretty much sacrificing myself, saving this world, I'm still going to be remembered as the evil guy, the guy who tried to, you know, run off humankind and, you know, attacked my own brethren and everything else. He's like, wow. so, so it's kind of like, you know, even when he dies, you, it's like, what will he be remembered for? He won't be remembered for saving the world. He'll be, or trying to save the world. He'll be remembered for all the horrendous things he does. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, when you're as evil as Magneto was, even though there were times where he did play both sides and it seems like it's almost as if, I don't know if he feels like he's getting what's coming to him, even though he tried to be a better man in the end. Yeah. Kind of thing. Maybe it's that sort of deal. Well, that's but- the thing. In the beginning of the series, he was kind of like this, you know, very dark, very hell-bent kind of guy, you know, killing people uh, and stuff like that. And, you know, remember he had the whole kind of arc with the getting, you know, he had no powers. So it was like, it's 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 kind of like a, a, a coming of circle, full circle story where in the beginning he starts off with no powers. And at the end, he has all the power in the world, but he's using it all to save the planet that he has terrorized for so many decades. It's just interesting because you kind of get a hint of how his character was maybe in Days of Future Past. Yeah. And this is kind of like the Magneto that we're seeing now where there's this revel- there's this great revelation of everything that's happened. And I think if you're going to end a series, especially a series like this, that's the way that you kind of want to end it. Yeah, so Magneto number 21 is a definite pull for me. Um, the whole series... Is, has just been fantastic. It's been one of those few series where you read it and it doesn't miss a beat. There was never an issue where I, I of a series where I was like, you know what, this was a down issue. Kind of like when I did Star Wars a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, seven, issue seven was a down issue for Star Wars. Here, it, like I said, it doesn't miss a beat. The art is just amazing and a uh, great job by calling everybody on there. So it's a definite pull for me. Well, uh, you can always go back and get the trades, too, if you want to read yep. that series. A lot of them are already out right now. But, Nick, I decided to go to DC myself and a comic that we haven't actually reviewed yet, even though that we had the the writer on the show a few weeks ago. So I like I kind of like how this week we've kind of gone back home, like the prodigal sons have yes, come back did. home. We did. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you read our reviews on our website, downandnerdypodcast.com, we, do, we have done some major publishers there. But on the show... We had to get back to it. So I did the Omega Men number four, which is written by our buddy Tom King. And here's the thing that kind of scared me a little bit. Uh. It said guest artist. And I went, okay. But it's like they're telling you, okay, this is not the artist for the whole series. 
we're just this is just a guest appearance, and the guest appearance is by Toby Cypress. Okay. Uh, so they they kind of wanted to let you know that right off the bat. Uh, Romulo Fajardo Jr. is the colorist. Pat Brasaro is the letterer, and uh, Trevor Hutchinson did the cover. Now I will say. There is a drastic change to the art from issue two to issue three. It's almost like, I mean, we've talked about Batman Eternal in the past. This is a very similar thing that happens in this issue. The art is very, very different. It's a little erratic at times. I'll say that right off the bat. So I can't even say inconsistent. I would just more say erratic. It's not that it's bad. It's just not a style that I prefer. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there, I mean, I could see somebody looking at this art and going, "Wow, that's amazing!" And but it's just not my cup of tea. The writing, on the other hand, I'm not just saying this because we've talked to Tom King on the show before. Yeah, it is fantastic. If you've read the Omega Men series, you know that the capturing of Kyle Rayner is kind of like this whole big hoax. It's all a manipulation. So issue number four basically should have been called the manipulation of Kyle Rayner. <laughs> because you know they've got the princess in the cell with him. And now yeah. we know, spoiler alert if you haven't read with read issue three, she's working with the Omega Men yep. to take down the Citadel in their war. So basically it's her trying to connect with Kyle on a personal level. Mm-hmm. And we get this whole story about how Kyle Rayner became a Green Lantern and how he was the only one that wasn't chosen to become a Green Lantern because of the war that was going on. And it's just so deep. And you just really feel for Kyle Rayner and every all the stuff that's happened to him. Yeah. And then the princess starts in and she talks about how she's afraid all the time and stuff like that. And the interesting part of this is about halfway through the issue, you see the Omega Men actually kind of watching in on what's going on. They're kind of spying and they're kind of talking about how this is her plan. And Primus is saying, you know, because that's his woman right there. Yeah. So he's watching his woman basically try to, you know, I don't want to say full on seduce, but kind of get another guy on her side sort of thing. So what you could tell is that Primus is struggling with this a little bit. Right. And through the middle of the issue, again, I don't want to give too much away, but we actually find out a little bit about Primus's backstory and how they might have actually met. Him and Callista might have actually met. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting turn of events. Let me just say that. So this whole manipulation thing goes on pretty much the entire issue. And what this issue did is it laid the groundwork going forward. What right. I love about this series... It doesn't read like it thinks it could be over any minute now. It reads like he's really going the long haul with this series. They they took an entire issue to lay the groundwork of how they're going to manipulate Kyle Rayner into helping the Omega Man, and I think that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, anytime you have a comic where you get... I mean, even in the history of just really anything, comics or film or whatever, the bad guy's side... The opposition side is always, in a sense, so much more fascinating than the the hero side because it's like you get to see how they're going to do their plan, you know, how they're going to do this. You know, it's like with certain games, you kind of wish they took that Sonic Adventure 2 thing. It was like, oh, I want to play both sides. I want to get both sides of the story. I love it when comics, like, that's one reason, big reason why I love Sinestro so much is because you see the opposite side. You see what Sinestro is feeling and everything else. Right. Well, one of the one of the things I love about the series is you don't really legit know who the bad guy is. Right. Is it the Citadel or is it the Omega Man? Because you could really see 
both sides, and that's one of the cool it's things of, about this series. It's kind of like being in full on election election season and kind of the negative ads are flying for each side and you don't know who's yeah, exactly. telling the truth or what. And the social commentary in this book, there was almost a social commentary on how the Americans came to North America yeah. from England and the Indians were already there when they got there. There was a little bit of social commentary there. There's social commentary in this in this book and in this series so much. And the characters are all so interesting. And what I felt was there were not a lot of characters in this book. A lot of the Omega Men were not part of this. Yeah. And that was one of the things I loved about the earlier issues. But I don't want to say you didn't miss them. But they wouldn't have made sense in this issue, and I like that they don't feel like they need to have every all the all the kids in the pool order in order to make this successful. So I would say definitely if you haven't pulled the series already, it's it's still a pull for me because it's just so intriguing. And yeah, the art was a little bit inconsistent, but again, guest artist. Yeah. So I'm sure the regular artist will be back at some point during the series, maybe in the next issue. So I, I mean. I wasn't expecting to like this series when I first started reading it, and I am hooked now 100%. Wow, okay. So, I mean, that, that's really cool. I mean, I, I want to kind of go back a little bit to what you said about how like, some of the minor characters weren't really in there much, if at all. And you know, that's really important. If you're a writer for comics or books or whatever, especially if you have a series like this, you don't have to, you know, you want to be able to progress the story without having to feel like you got a crowbar in the smaller characters because people will be like, where do they go? You know, kind of thing. Well, they're off doing something else, you know, whatever. They come back later. It's, it's, it works with smaller characters, whereas with bigger characters, not so much. Um, I'm glad they did that to progress the story. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, the whole manipulation of Kyle Rayner, dude, it seems like it's a fantastic thing. Yeah, and they didn't need to be there. And what I love is they didn't force them in there. And I think that that was a very smart move on Tom King's part. Exactly. That's going to do it for what we're reading. So put away those long boxes until next week. But come up next is this week in Geek Tame. And boy, oh boy, do we have something great to talk about. We got the Nerdy Awards. We're discussing the best and worst uh, movies and performances. So, And some might surprise you. I don't know. Let's just say that Fantastic Four is not taking home every worst award, at least in my case. Stick around. More Down Nerdy. Come up next. Hi, this is Katrina Law from Arrow, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast with James Witham and Nick Battaglia. We've got something very special this week for This Week in Geek Tamment. We did this as a huge spotlight on our show. Last year, we decided to bring it a little bit further forward in the show. It's the second annual Nerdy Awards! <laughs> Yay! No red yes. carpets, no BS, just straight to all the movies. And it's just movies, of course, that we do for the Nerdy Awards. All the movies that you loved from this past year. Exactly. Well, also, it's not just theatrical releases. We actually did. We actually involve are involving animation as well. So, like the DC stuff we re- we watched, like a bunch of other things we've watched as well, reviewed on the show. Even stuff we haven't reviewed on the show as well. Uh, but let's dive into it, James. Let's start off with a category that. Well, last year was probably one of our favorites, and it's best fight scene. I'll have you go first with that. You're a winner. Yeah, and I think that last year's was kind of obvious. This year, I really struggled with it, but it was hard for me not to go with the epic final fight scene in Jurassic World between the Indominus Rex, the Raptors, and the T-Rex. I mean, triple threat match? Uh-huh. How can you go wrong with a triple threat match? <laughs> that, that That is true. That is true. However, I did not go that route. I went... 
animated, I went with the Batman fight versus the Corps of Owls and Batman versus Robin when he's in that giant mech. Oh, yes. Yes, and, that was a good one. And the reason why I went for it, other than Batman and the giant mech, is because it was that pivotal scene where Batman accepts his fatherly role and says, yo, you attacked my yep. son, now get the hell out of my house. And it's like we really see him pissed off and kind of really standing up for Damien, really, you know, first time he saw Damien in trouble. So, I mean, how could you not, or how could I not go with the Batman versus Corvallis fight scene in the towards the third act of Batman versus Robin? And it was very important, too, because it kind of, made Damien turn the corner as well. So that made it even that much more important. Now we're going to go a little more general, a little more broad here. We're going to do best performance by an actor or an actress in movies this year. So I'm going to turn the, turn the tide over to you. What do you think? Well, you didn't see this movie and I wish you did because you could really see why I chose this person. I'm going with Charlie Theron from Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. It's, it just came out on Blu-ray. So it's, it's happening. Yeah, go get I just it. Haven't, I just haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I've heard that she was Her Furiosa was amazing. Like, she commanded the screen. Her character, you know, as we are in cinema now where a lot of female roles are getting more stronger, they're not the usual dame in distress that we've seen a lot mm-hmm. throughout the years or the woman who's there to either, you know, argue or whatever. She was strong as hell. I loved it. I loved her character arc. I loved everything. I loved how it ended with her. Really was my my best performance of this year. And by the way, before I give it to James, I do want to mention people are probably sitting here wondering, well, how come you guys are doing you know the best and mostly summer films and everything else? Well, you know, why don't you wait until Star Wars comes out? We're gonna add stuff like the Hunger Games Part Two and Star Wars and everything else next time. Yes, yes. So don't worry about that. They will be included in the third annual Nerdy Awards because you know like we, we like to cut it off on summer movie season because Hollywood seems to do the same thing. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, September is like when they, it's like February and January, they're just throwing the barren wasteland of shit. Well, last like, last yeah. week was like, yikes. I mean, I can't wait for Scorch Trials coming out, but uh, yeah. last week was a big yikes. So, um, your best performance. I, I kind of went back and forth on this, and this might surprise some people, but I'm going to go with Paul Rudd in Ant-Man. Really? I just think that as far, he, it was a perfectly rounded performance. I mean, he was funny when he had to be funny. He was serious when he had to be serious. The I thought his action scenes were very good. Everything was very fluid. Uh, his interactions with the other established characters in the MCU, like Falcon. Uh, I just thought he did a fantastic job in, in, a, in a performance, in a, in a movie that wasn't really highly hyped. I'm gonna, I thought, I'm honestly thinking that there's two people I thought you were going to go with for best performance. I thought you were either going to go with Chris Pratt from Jurassic World or I thought you were going to go with uh, uh, Elizabeth Olsen from Age of Ultron. I really almost went Chris Pratt. Yeah. I really did. But I, I thought about it, and it was, it was such a tight race between the two. If I could have had a tie, I would have, but I'm not that guy. So Your I was wife's... like, you know what? Paul Rudd did very well. Your wife's going to hear this, and she's going to say, how come you didn't pick Scarlet Witch, you son of a bitch? Well, you know, we don't have best costume category because this is an E. <laughs> True. Bitch stole my look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we love you, John Rivers. All right, so since we had a couple of best ofs, it's time to dive into a couple of worst ofs. And James, I'm going to have you kick off. <sighs> worst performance, I don't think it's much of a surprise here. No, anybody that's listened to our review of Fantastic Four knows that I picked, I took out more shovels than General Grievous to bury <laughs> Kate Mara. She was awful. The worst Sue Storm 
forever. It made me long for the days of Invisible Jessica Alba. Well, I mean, I mean it was anything. so I, terrible. Well, I mean, as a guy, every day you wish for Invisible Jessica Alba, just like to walk through that door and just be like, "Honey, I'm home," and like, "I don't see you." Exactly. <laughs> I kind of wish this whole movie was invisible, but I mean, I just thought she was bad. Everything about it was bad. She was cold. She was a terrible actress in the movie. I know she's done some other good stuff. So pretty much you're saying she could have been a perfect choice for Killer Frost. Yeah, just, pretty much. Yeah, very mm. frosty. All right, well, it's my turn. And instead of going – now, people might say, oh, Nixon picked Fantastic Four as well. No, I'm not. I'm throwing a curveball here. The um, reason why I didn't pick Fantastic Four is because I felt that the performances that were done by the actors, because they're all been really good at other stuff – it was more reflective of the writing that they were given and the direction they were given. So I'm not putting the blame on them for their performance. I'm going Ultron from Age of Ultron. Wow. And that's surprising because when we talked about Age of Ultron, when we reviewed the trailers and we heard the announcements of who was going to be playing Ultron, James Spader, we were both really excited. Well, it's not James Spader. I'm talking more about the character Ultron. Yeah, the uh, yeah the the way it was portrayed and the way yeah. it was written. Yeah, um, not way, not good. Well, the way Ultron was done, where he doesn't seem that menacing. Like he like okay, he had all these different forms, and he was like just trying to be this all powerful and wipe out this thing. It's like he's like I'm gonna wipe out the world. It's like well, you were kind of only in one spot. You were in one key spot. Oh, you're li- I'm gonna lift the island off the ground. <laughs> okay, why? Like you yeah, know, exactly. Um. That's just that, but just like, you know, you didn't really give him a pivotal fight scene at all, really. Well, they, uh, they did, they just didn't show it. Right. They, and, they kept cutting away to people being loaded onto yeah, helicarriers um, and stuff. But, I mean, his whole, he, like, it was one of those things where the trailer made Ultron look more dark and menacing than he really was. It was more know? the threat of what you thought was going to happen than what actually was happening. Right. You know, and that to me does not make for menacing. So I totally get where you're coming from. Right. And that's my pick for for worst point. Now people say, Ultron was written as a written character, you asshole. He's not an actor or anything else. Ah, fuck you. It's my choice. Shut up. It was a voice perform- voice acting performance. And we're not blaming James Spader. No, Spader, so. I, Spader was good as the voice of Ultron. I just think that the way that Ultron acted, the way he was in, in there... Really, I think that they kind of dropped the ball a little bit as far as how he was portrayed in the comics. So now, we continue to worst director James, which again, I think we can both telegraph this one. Yeah, should we just say it together? One, <laughs> two, two, three. three. Josh, Josh Trank! Come yeah. on! Come on down. <sighs> I just... Yeah. There was not one thing, except for the beginning of the movie, where they actually had any glimmer of hope, I don't think. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say again, everything we've heard of with the how he was directing people, how he was on set, how he was an asshole on set, and everything else, da, da, da. not saying not all directors are aren't assholes, but no, no, he was like not. he was like having breakdowns on set apparently and just like just I mean it was a nightmare to work with him and then they I mean to the point where if you're if you have to be locked out of your editing bay, yeah, that's pretty bad. If you're to the point where your movie's such a train wreck where the studio has to come in and pretty much say, you're not directing the third act. we got to try to piece this together as best as we can. Yeah, you're a shitty director. If you go out at a Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con, say, you know, in a sense, because you knew your Chronicle 2 shit wasn't going to get greenlit, and you say, you know, I wanted this to be 
you know, in the spirit of Chronicle 2, fuck you. Uh, you yep. want to take Dr. Doom, who's the most powerful person and, and best. I think the best. I think Dr. Doom, sorry, Joker fans. I think Dr. Doom is the best fucking villain in all the comics. You take him and say, he's going to be a hacker, and he's going to throw rocks for, you know, his entire fight scene. Fuck you, Josh Trank. You're a horrible director. And that's all I'm going to say. So let's move on to the brighter and more beautiful directing avenues, James, which is best director and do you want me to go first? Or you? Yeah, you can go first, because I, I think I'm going to shock the hell out of you here. All right, I'm going with George Miller from Mad Max Fury Road. Okay, again, I can understand just, again, I haven't seen it, but based on when you, what I've heard. Well, when yeah. you watch it, and you know, that, and when you watch I'm going to tell you this right now, that like 90% of that movie was practical effects. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, his visions is great, the way things were shot, brilliant. Everything about that movie, there's not one thing to hate about its direction. Uh, they get the best out of Tom Hardy, the best out of Charlie Stone, who are already really good actors. Uh, they bring back the same guy um, to play in Morton Joe, who I can't think of his character name in the first Mad Max. Uh, but you pretty good. He was the same big bad um, from Mad Max, and they brought him back to play Morton Joe. That's great. Mm-hmm. And it, it was fantastic. The music. And plus, I mean, who doesn't like the Doof Warrior? Of We're playing his, playing his guitar, you know, giving you know, that, that desert concert we always dreamed of when you're I'm, not when you're when you're not getting high at Joshua Tree. Yeah, you you, you want to get high and watch the Doof Warrior. <laughs> I mean, flaming guitars, really hard to really hard to get get around that. Yeah, I mean, so, what's not the love? So your choice for best actor? Uh, my best director or best director? I mean, sorry. Is something that I mean, maybe have gotten, maybe would have gotten lost in the shuffle, or maybe have gotten forgotten, but. I'm going to go with Brad Bird from Tomorrowland. Really? I think that that movie was so much better than I expected. And the way that they made the transition from the Tomorrowland to the actual current time and the way they shot the in-between scenes where she touches the pin and you suddenly you see Tomorrowland, then you go back. You see your Tomorrowland, then you go back. See, I, kind of thing. I thought Tomorrowland was good. I didn't think... Brad Bird deserved Best Director for it, but, I mean, it's your choice. I just think that he did a really good job telling the story, and I think that a lot of the shots in there were very visually striking, I'm surprised and you that's go, what made it a good movie. I'm surprised you, as much as you love Jurassic World, I'm surprised you didn't go with Colin Trevorrow. I thought about that. Or Peyton Reed from Ant-Man. I, I, uh, Peyton Reed was my, actually my second choice. Really? If I was going to go for another choice, I would have gone with Peyton Reed because I think that, again, it was one of those things where with what he was, with the story that he had to tell, I just think he did a great job with it. But the the way Tomorrowland just, it kept my attention. Not that any of these other movies didn't. And mm-hmm. maybe I'm giving it more credit because I didn't expect it to good, be good and I really ended up liking it. Yeah. But it kept, the, the way that it was shot kept my attention from the very beginning to the end, and I think that's one of the things that makes a good director. Yeah, and uh, again, as a good director, you know, somebody who's directed short films before, so and it, the most important thing is getting your story across, just developing it, and just you know, it's your vision. So it's like it's just is does your vision get across, and that's pretty much the main thing. Um, and whether it's good or not, people are going to judge for themselves. There's some people that love Tomorrowland, like we like Tomorrowland. Uh, there's some people that don't like it at all. So that moves us to our final category, James. Best movie, I think, and I don't, we don't, again, we don't know, we didn't share lists before recording this, so I don't know what you have, um, but I'm going to have you go first. So, what are your best movie for, for this summer? This is another one of those ones where I, if I could, if I could have made it a tie, 
I absolutely would have. Uh, it's so hard to pick one of these two. You're going to go with Terminator Genesis, aren't you? I'm going to have to go with Jurassic World. Really? Gotta go with Jurassic World. And I'm not going to tell you what my tying film would be. Because I have a sneaking suspicion <laughs> that you're going to pick it. And I'm not going to disagree with you at all. But I mean, the reason I picked Jurassic World is what what's not to love. Chris Pratt was amazing. I think that for a franchise that needed that shot in the arm of a really good movie, they had it. They had a good, quote unquote, main villain. I think the scene with the pterodactyls terrifying the park was absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, I just, I was, I was loving it from the beginning to the end. But the question is, Nick, are you going to choose the movie that I almost chose instead of Jurassic World? Well, if you thought about Hitman Agent 47, then fuck yeah, I am. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, it is. It's like Hitman 47, you know, the way that you know, the guy played Hitman, you know, the way they did the barcode in his head. I mean, it was just a spectacular movie. No. Uh, my pick, <laughs> I think you're fucking right, is, again, when you've been doing a show for over a year, you kind of pick up on the tendencies of your, uh, what we're now call each other co-hosts, we'll say broadcast partners. Uh, I went with Justice League Gods and Monsters. Yep, there it is. Thank you very much. <laughs> we'll be here all week and then the week after that and the week after that. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly, that was that was my one, 1A one right yeah. there. I mean, I'm going to let you go. Go ahead. Okay, so, I mean, again, alternate dimension, you know, uh, Superman, the way they did him, the way that they did the op- – the way that they did kind of Superman's birth uh, or DNA, and it makes you think you're gonna, they're going to go some really dark way with it, and they don't. Mm-hmm. And then that scene, dude, that house scene where everybody's just getting murdered. I know. And just – I mean, it's the most – I think it's literally the most brutal – you know, I mean – Bruce, Tim, everybody else, just oh my god! I mean, just brutal. This is, I think, the most brutal animated film DC's ever done. Like, you want to talk about amazing. a huge risk too? Oh yeah, but like, I mean, taking you say, you know, Bruce Wayne's not Batman. Kirk Langstrom is going to be Batman, mm-hmm. and you know, and we, you know, we don't have Diana Prince as Wonder Woman. It's somebody else, and I can't think of her name on top. I think Becca. Yeah, and you know, it's going to be her. And it's just, again, just phenomenal, nonstop action. I mean, you know, you saw my expression. I was watching it, and a lot, yep. of, a lot of time was, holy shit, they did not just do that, and they did. If we had a best writer or best screenplay category, I would have definitely gone Alan Burnett, Bruce Tim yeah. for Justice League Gods and Monsters because that story, to, to tell such a ballsy story like that, yeah. and to go so completely outside of the box, in a, in a genre where... Fans are so unbelievably picky about to tell a story like that and an original story in a day where there aren't many and do it well. I mean, bravo. And remember, if you are a fan of Mad Max Fury Road and Just Like God's Monsters and some other properties we've talked about, you can go see Bob over at Fantasy Escape and uh, he'll hook you up with some comics. I know I had the Mad Max comics and yeah, goddamn, they're pretty good. Oh, definitely. And of course, Justice League Gods and Monsters had comics as well that I'm sure that Bob will be able to hook you up with. There was a ton of them, but that's going to be it for the second annual Nerdy Awards. You can always share yours with us. Go to downandnerdypodcast.com, contact us, let us know what you think. But we're going to let you know a whole bunch of nerd news, and it's right here next on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book writer and co-creator of Deadpool, Fabian Nisiesa, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Well, it's that time, boys and girls. We go around the internet because it's time for what, James? Nerd news. And uh, well, our first story is, I think, a major story. You know, we don't really we cover video game news a good amount, kind of, on the show and on the uh, on the website and the Facebook page as well, but. This, I think, is the biggest video game news I think we've ever covered, James. Yeah, because, I mean, what's the stereotype of what you think of when you think of a gamer? You think of teenage boys or dude bros in their 20s and stuff like that. Well, a new study actually says that that is not the case, that, guess what? Females and older females are now the largest demographic for gaming in the industry right now. Wow. Yeah, so uh, James, I want to follow up on what James just said. So a new study was actually released by the Entertainment Software Association. They revealed that adult women are the largest demographic in the gaming industry. Women over 18, get this, made up a whopping 36% of the population, followed by adult men at 35%. So I know if you listen to this, you're saying, well, it's a 1% differential. Let me rephrase that. Let me repeat that. Women over 18... Play games more than men. That's a big deal, considering, again, what the stereotype was all along. But I was surprised, but at the same time, I wasn't really surprised. Because think about it, if you've been to a con, or when I walk into... Even when I walk into Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach. Yeah. Women are starting to get more involved. And if you look at the cons and look at the cosplays, which are mostly women. A lot of guys like to cosplay too, but it's mostly women cosplaying. You even go around the interwebs... Video game cosplaying is huge. It's, yeah, it's all over the place. And a lot of video game cosplays are dominated by women. Yes. And it's just, you know, for example, like my friend Jess, she does like a Tomb Raider cosplay and, you know, she's a big Dragon Age person. Like every word that I think my friend Jess talks to me about is something from Dragon Age. Chloe, like Dexter, I, Chloe Dexter is the same way. Remember, yeah. she actually got to help design a character for Dragon Age because she, she was such a big fan of the sh- of the game. And then she, they were like, well, you know, if you play it all the time, oh, yeah. then why don't you go ahead and try and develop <laughs> a character? And uh, these women have Twitch accounts. Yes. And, They're and, gaming. Uh, yeah, and I want to go back to your whole teenage boy thing. Well, teenage boys only make up 17% of the gaming community. And here's a, a statistic that's really big, you know, because we have moms who are over the age of 50. So from 2012 to 2013, the study found uh, that female gamers age 15 over grew to 32%. That's a lot. Like, and my stepmom is one of those people because she is one of those people where, she, you know, my parents coming down this weekend and she's got her tablet, so if I, there's times like, well, I'll be on my PlayStation, and she'll be on her tablet playing whatever on it. And that brings me to a certain point I want to make, James. i got to do a little bit of rant here. Okay, I'll sit back. So when I posted this story, I was getting some feedback from some people on social media saying, and, there, and I want to say right now, it, is, it, was, there, it was men, and it was men gamers. Now, my bone right now is a pick. Not with all, it's not the whole entire male gaming community, but it's about three-fourths percent of it. The first thing I got told was, oh, how can you trust a study? You don't know how, what kind of games they play. They could have been playing Angry Birds on, on a mobile game or whatever like that for all that matters. Why the fuck does that matter? Because I'm fucking sorry, but a game, I'm not sorry at all, actually. Playing on a mobile device is not any different, like a phone, is not any different than playing a fucking Game Boy. And all you motherfuckers who were like, oh, well, they might be, who knows, maybe a certain percentage of them play Angry Birds. Who cares? Because you want to know something? 
Angry Birds is also on consoles now, you dumb yep. fucks. Yep, so exactly. Here's the here's the thing. And I don't care if people come and, and, and post shit on my Twitter at all. Come at me. At Merkel with Arm. Come fucking at me. Because here's the thing. You you bitch and moan about, oh, I want to find a girl who's a gamer. I want to find a girl who's a gamer. And then when you meet somebody who's awesome and, they, and you ask, oh, what kind of games you play? They say, oh, I play Bejeweled or I play Angry Birds or this. And you fucking scathe them for doing so. You're an asshole. So I'm fucking not sorry for saying this, but you guys are the most hypocritical motherfuckers I've ever encountered in my life. Because all you are is hate. Not the entire community, but there's a big percentage of you. Just watch the shit that Jimmy Kimmel just posted when he did a joke about people who watch stuff like PewDiePie and stuff like that. And he got death threats. Yeah, which you're, is ridiculous. You're the problem with the community. So stop hiding behind your fucking anonymity. And if you're going to tweet me shit, put your real name out there, motherfucker. Okay? That's all I got to say on that. Well, here's the deal. I agree with you. It doesn't matter what they play. I don't think it matters at all. And here's why. You know they talk about gateway drugs all the time? Yeah. Where you talk about, oh, well, if you do this, it's just going to end up leading into this. Here's, here's the deal, fellas. Playing stuff like Angry Birds and Bejeweled and stuff like that is just a gateway to get into console and PC gaming. Well, and plus, there's transition. There's a transitional period there. Well, you, uh, you can't tell me that they can't start from that right. and then go into something else. It's an interest in the world of my, gaming. My, my, and my thing is this. Is, this is what I don't like, too, is I don't like how in the game community people the label a gamer as somebody like, like do you play... Uh, League of Legends or whatever like that? No, I play like Batman, Arkham, and NBA 2K. Well, you're not a gamer. Well, fuck you to say that. You know it's the, I mean? No, those are the dude bros that like playing nothing but first-person shooters because they're not good at anything else. Right. And, and, it's just like, and it's like, it's one of those things where it's just like, I'm sorry, but how is playing Bejeweled different than playing Tetris? They're both the same thing. It's not. Much. And Tetris is in the Video Game Hall of Fame, by the way. First exactly. ballot. Video Game Hall of Fame. I mean, there's all kinds of strategy. I mean, think about it. It's games like Arkanoid from back in the day in the, in the arcades. Games like that. Were, Centipede. Yeah. It, Centipede would be a mobile game today if it never existed, okay? I yeah. guarantee you. So a lot of the arcade games that you loved playing back in the 80s, for those of us who were older gamers, those are the kind of things that are coming out as app games also, now, so I don't know what you're complaining about. Also, these are probably the same people who... The people who complain about... Oh, you're not a real gamer if you play mobile games. Are probably the same people who played Snake. Remember, you could do this on your calculator, James. You could yep. play. If you had a graphing calculator, you could play yep. Snake on mm-hmm. your calculator. I remember. Those are the type of people. So it's like, oh, you play on a phone. It's like, well, you were the same guy that played on a calculator in high school and played Snake. And like I said, I'm sorry, mobile device. Game Boys are mobile. Game Gears are mobile. You can bring them fucking anywhere. Hence right, they're mobile. Right, and the games, remember, for those mobile devices were always pared down a little bit from their console counterparts because you can't put all the same stuff that you put in console gaming into a mobile game. So, I mean, what do you want? I, I just think that the complaint here is ridiculous, and I think it's great that we're starting to close the gap a little bit gender-wise yeah. for gaming. So, I mean, and a lot of women... Love to play games. My wife loves to play games as well. So, I mean, I don't care if it's on the Wii or if it's on a PS4. What difference does it make? Well, Can't playing... we just all enjoy playing games? Well, by playing games, your wife likes to take your phone and put up that you like to wear tutus and sprinkle yourself and glitter on your Facebook. Yeah, that that's a whole different game. 
all together. Yeah. It's it's fun though. <laughs> it's it's really fun, especially when you get her back. But, ah yes. But Stay again, back. final thing before I, we move on to our next story, like, us, again, it doesn't matter. And, and I, this is just my plea to guy gamers. It doesn't matter what games a, a, a female plays. If they play a game, just be happy. It's like with comics. I don't care what you read, as long as. But if you read comics, that's fucking awesome. Like yeah. you know, we should. We live in a time where we chastise people for liking certain things, even though they're technically the same things we like. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it doesn't make sense. So be more accepting and just be like, oh, you play Angry Birds, or you play, oh, you know, like I said, my friend Jess plays Dragon Age all the fucking time, and it's mm-hmm. awesome. You know, and it's just one of those things where it's like we need to be more accepting and we need to be able to pretty much foresee a future where, you know, everybody can get along better. And again, the problem comes with anonymity, but moving on to things coming to the future, James, that could come to an end. Steven Spielberg, who of course we know and love. I mean, he's made some of the best movies we have throughout our childhood and growing up yep. and everything else. Uh, he was an executive producer on Jurassic world as well. So he did an interview with AP. Yeah, and he was doing an interview with the AP recently. And if you remember a couple years ago, he caused a bit of a stir when he said that Hollywood was headed towards an implosion, you know, because of, you know, all the big budget movies and stuff like that. We were talking about this off the air about how there's nothing that doesn't have a huge budget anymore, it seems like. Oh, yeah. So Steven Spielberg said, you know, they asked him if he still felt that way. And he said, and I quote, I do. I still feel that way. We were around when the Western died and there will be a time when superhero movie goes the way of the Western. It doesn't mean there won't be another occasion where the Western comes back and the superhero movie someday returns. Of course, right now, the superhero movie is alive and thriving. I'm only saying that these cycles have a finite time in popular culture. There will come a day when the mythology stories are supplanted by some other genre that possibly some young filmmaker is thinking about discovering for all. All of us. Now, when we were talking about this, when we saw the story, I was like, you know what? As much as we might not want to admit it, and as much as we love the things that we love, he is absolutely 100% right. Oh, exactly. I mean, look back at Westerns. You know, you had that time where you had the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, the man with no name, and, uh, you know, Tombstone, and a fistful of quarters, and, you know, Butch Cassidy, Sundance Kid, everything else. It was. You couldn't turn around back in the day when the spaghetti westerns were huge. I mean, I remember in college, man, like some a lot of our times reports I had to do in board posts and everything else centered around having to watch a certain western and write about it. Yeah, and John Wayne and Clint Eastwood ruled the world well, that, yeah, for Sam, the longest time. Well, that you had Sam Elliott yep. and everybody else. And, you know, you look at this and Clint Eastwood, you can't forget about him, but you look at like, Superhero movies. There's going to be a point where it's going to get to a it's going to get to a point. I think it's going to be within the next five years. I would say, um, at least after the you know these two slates that Marvel and DC have done are are over. Or, you know they're completed. Are we really looking forward to a Plastic Man movie? Are we really looking forward to you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I know you love the character James, but I know he's coming to Supergirl, but a Red Tornado movie, like, yeah, it's that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, that's just you know, not happening. I mean, I'm serious because like we're getting to that point even with Marvel now, like Doctor Strange, and even still, even though it was a big success, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Captain Marvel and everything else. So it's going to be flooded with certain things. 
And let's not forget about TV here. We're not only getting oh, yeah. in 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 movies, but TV is ten times worse. And I don't mean worse as in it's bad. I mean we're inundated right now, and and I understand why Hollywood's doing it because they're capitalizing on a trend, just like the whole when when Twilight happened, it's... they capitalized on that trend with the whole the whole vampire thing <laughs> that's still. Hasn't really completely gone away, but the bubble started to burst there. Look at the zombie bubble. That's oh, bursting yeah. now. Yeah. So, I mean, things in pop culture are finite. There's always a resurrection, but take Westerns as a perfect example by Spielberg. Yeah. I want you to really think about what the last great Western was in the past 10 years. Yeah. I'm talking great like they used to be. I'm not talking that came out. I'm talking great because there wasn't, there hasn't been one. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, uh, after Unforgiven... Like- Nothing. Well, I mean, I can. Th- the only way I can think of that came out like a while ago was the remake of True Grit. But other than that, like, and that was been... okay for me. Right. It I wasn't mean, even got, as good as the original. I mean, you got Quentin Tarantino's was the, the, the Hateful Eight coming out, but still, I mean, it's... you, you want to say Django? Fine. I don't consider yeah, that I don't a consider true western. Django western. I don't no, cons- like Hateful Eight, maybe. But again, it's gonna be totally different than like an actual, I think, old school western. And I think we've got like what Magnificent Seven coming out here not too long from now, which no, I believe was, is no, a western. It, it's the Magnificent Seven. I don't know about that. I know, like I said, Quentin Tarantino's is called the Hateful Eight. Yeah, I well, I think we've got another one, the Magnificent Seven, that's coming out as well. But but again, my point's still the same. Oh yeah, no, there's it's, there's it's, been it's, westerns that have been made, but they haven't done anything because they were like Three Ten to Yuma was a huge blow up. Yeah. I don't know what they were doing there, but that is what we're looking at now. We yeah. we could be looking at five ten years from now the same thing happening to superhero movies, and we're not going to get a bunch. We're going to get maybe one or a, two here and there. There's going to be a point where superhero movies are going to be like the Beanie Babies of cinema. Well, like, it, it's like, happened to comics. Be, well, because look, no, the reason why I say, people say, well, how can you compare superhero movies to Beanie Babies? Well, look at it this way. What every property that's comic book related under the sun is being picked up or adapted by some studio, some TV production company or whatever, just like back in the 90s. Every Beanie Baby was selling out. People were buying them up left and right. And what happened? Their worth kind of fell away. And people kind of were like, what am I supposed to do with these now kind of a thing? You know, I mean, there's people that make coats out of them, literally. Literal coats yep. out of Beanie Babies. So, I mean, yeah, the way that it comes to superhero movies, I mean, and I got to ask you this personally, James. Are you kind of getting burnt out a little bit by superhero stuff nowadays? Uh, I'm not because, like I was saying, comics has changed. You've got so many more options for stories now uh, in comics. It's not just about superheroes anymore. And sometimes even the ones that are about superheroes take a different tone than it used to. I I think that what we're going to do is become a little bit more picky with our superhero properties now. We're going to expect greatness more so than we did before because before we didn't really have much. We had a little bit, but not much. Now we've got a lot. So now that we've got this overabundance, we're going to start judging things a little bit more harshly. But I like that DC's not doing the same kind of movies that Marvel's doing because that will give us a nice little break in not having the same exact kind of movies over and over and over again. So I like that there's parody there. Uh, but again, I think your point's one of, the, one of the big ones too, is that you're going to run out of heroes. Legit yeah. heroes to do movies about. And you're not going to... And Marvel's going to run out quicker because they've been doing it longer. So it gets to the point where, what do you do? I mean, does Captain Marvel deserve a movie? Probably. Doctor Strange? Yeah, probably. But That's going to be a good like, movie. But can you see like, a Zatanna 
movie. No. You see a Martian Manhunter movie. No, not at all. I mean, some people would argue the Martian Manhunter part, but I'm sorry, he can't carry his own movie. He's a good supporting character, not going to carry his own film. Sorry, not happening. I mean, and Marvel's got plenty. I think that Black Panther is a little bit of a stretch for a movie, but that's just me. And I think once you get down to Moon Knight, does Moon Knight deserve a movie? Absolutely not. So... I like that we're getting these, and I, I'm I'm at the I've I've taken the mindset of let's enjoy it while it lasts. And I think one of the other things that Spielberg is doing and noticing this is is if you notice more news that came out this week that DreamWorks is going to leave Disney. Yeah, they're leaving Disney now. There's talks that it's more likely that they're going to be joining back up with Universal next the August August of 2016 when their whole distribution deal with Disney expires. Because Spielberg still has office there. But yeah, look at it this way. Disney bought up Lucasfilm, they bought Marvel, and they said that's one of the that's it. They said that's one of the big reasons why DreamWorks is leaving, because they want to focus on those two things. Yeah, and I mean if you're DreamWorks, what do you what do you how are you supposed to react? Yeah. You know? You're gonna go, well, I mean, if you're gonna but, focus your energy on this, where does that leave us? We're not gonna be the the last guy in line. It's like in NASCAR. When you've got teams that have like five cars in them, yeah. in this this major team, and then you're the fifth guy, and you're going, "Hey, oh yeah, you had, you're spending like, all your time with Jeff Gordon and stuff. What am yeah. I supposed to do?" Yeah, you had Hendrick Motorsports back in the day when it was like Jeff Gordon. Even now, Jeff Gordon, uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson, Dale, Dale Earnhardt, Earnhardt Jr., Jr. And if you're Kyle like, Bush. like I don't know, like Ricky Craven or whoever, you're like, <laughs> you're like, uh, I'm here too, kind of thing. Yeah, I'm here too. <laughs> So that's DreamWorks. They're going, okay, but, if you're all in on Marvel and Lucasfilms, we're going to take our business elsewhere because we've oh, got exactly. major films that we want to make too. I can see this happening with Disney now. Disney buying up properties left and right, but I can see this happening with Disney where they've tapped out of the Marvel and and Lucasfilm. They tapped that well dry. They got nothing else. Because DreamWorks no. is gone. Well, luckily for like them that. is they picked up Lucasfilms at the right time. They picked right. up Lucasfilms when they know that in the next five years, Marvel's going to trail off. So they can take Star Wars and let that last another couple years after that because they just picked it up and it's been gone for so long. So they can still feed off of that. And now I'm sure they're going to find whatever the next craze is going to be in the next five years or so. And they'll try and capitalize on that. So Disney's very smart. And I don't by any means think that they're going to be in trouble in five or ten years. But at the same time, I think that Spielberg and DreamWorks very smart for seeing the writing on the wall and seeing where things are going. But Nick, actually, one of the genres that might have a revival here soon is the horror genre. And unfortunately, we lost a major legend in that genre. Yeah, I mean, we lost a major legend. Of course, this person was also a big inspiration to me. Now, I never directed a a horror film but i mean it's just the way that the way that the characters he created uh made me kind of go back and write in my journal of like oh the great characters like this and that and the same thing with other filmmakers as well and of course talking about the great wet and the late wes craven uh he died over the weekend at the age of 76 he had brain cancer i mean wow yeah. i i never knew that he had brain cancer and it was just one of these where 76 nowadays that's young yeah, i think it is i think i think you know, old to me is kind of like 80 plus. Well, Stanley's what, 92, 93? Right. Something like that. I mean, he's an older guy, but, and, and I kind of put Wes Craven in the same breath with Stan Lee because oh, I God, mean, yes. if you want to admit it, New Line Cinema doesn't exist no. without Wes Craven 
at all. Ver- these Vertigo movies going to New Line should be on their knees thanking the estate yeah. of Wes Craven. The guy created Freddy Krueger. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, he got his big start out in, you know, Last House on the Left in 1972, which I, it's one of my all time favorite films. I think even the remake doesn't even do it justice. You, you go back, watch the old 1972 Last House on the Left. It's so intense. Well, remakes very rarely do anything justice. Uh, of course, and then you had The Hills had I, Have Eyes. Now, mm-hmm. here's a pretty interesting thing about, you mentioned, you know, how New Line would exist was for Wes Craven. Well, a lot of that big thing was because of uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and that was in 1984. But here's the cool thing about that, though, James. I don't know if you know this, but Wes Craven actually, it took him three years to sell A Nightmare on Elm Street. That's crazy. And you hear stories like that a lot in the entertainment business where you're shopping certain things around and people say no. And then finally somebody says yes. And it turns out to be in this this huge, amazing thing. Yeah, they make like seven movies out of it, you know? Yeah, well, and they'll probably make movies for the rest of... I mean, Wes Craven's kids will probably be having kids, and they'll be having kids, and Freddy Krueger movies will still be made. Well, I think the best, one of the best Wes Craven movies was, in the whole Freddy Krueger thing, outside of the first one, and Dream Warriors, uh, The New Nightmare, which pretty much put an end to it. I mean, I know he had the remake and everything else, but I'm talking Wes Craven films here. Yeah, you want to... I mean, there's a cap on because, movies like that because then once they started being remade well, by other people, it's not the same. Well, what made New Nightmare so great is because I remember going to the video store with my dad when VHS was still the main thing. It's the four DVDs, and I saw the box for New Nightmare. I looked on the back, and his mouth, you know, Freddy's mouth is like always stretched out. He's uh-huh. like, eat some kid's head pretty much kind of thing. And I'm like, ooh, this looks pretty interesting. But what made it better was it was it was aware. It was one of those movies that, you know, it was aware there was a horror movie. Like, it was set outside the realm of Nightmare kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, it was like an Elm Street movie, but it was kind of like, you know, Wes Craven playing himself and everybody else, who, you know, from the past movies playing themselves kind of thing. And uh, it was pretty interesting. But what made Wes Craven even more interesting, I mean, he also did Scream. And, you know, he gave us Ghostface as well. Yep. But what made Wes Craven, I think, so great as a director, um, it really, really shows, it was his upbringing. Because, again, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but his, he, he grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. But he grew up in a very strong Baptist family. I mean, Isn't that how the way it usually works, though? But, but to the point where, though, dude, his parents banned movies, both going to see movies and watching movies inside the house. Uh, they banned singing. They banned dancing. Pretty much anything that gives a child a sense of identity. Yeah. And what they want to do. The fact he was able to come out of that strong religious upbringing and say, you know what? I'm going to make films that are totally, you know, well, what he, what he decided to do is rage against the machine times 10. Oh, God, yes. And, and I think that that happens a lot when you have that strict of an upbringing. Uh, I, I think that that happens a lot. So it, it doesn't surprise me too much that that's the route he took, but it takes a certain kind of person to be able to rage against the machine like that and to have a creative mind despite being basically restricted from doing anything. Yeah. So I think what it did was is it made him want to try that much harder to be creative and make things that were going to last forever and make things that people are going to want to see and share for years to come. And I think, I mean, as a face that I would put on the Mount Rushmore of, of horror, I think he really accomplished that. And I'm, I've never been a huge fan of the genre, but I don't know how you cannot love and appreciate what Wes, Wes Craven has done. 
What I like to see is in the wake of Wes Craven's death, and I know this probably won't happen because, you know, people love the torture porn, which I don't understand at all, but I would love to see Hollywood kind of go back to that old school slasher mentality when it comes to horror. I would love to see nothing more than the whole paranormal jump scares go away and we get more of these monsters, these, you know, slasher type things, these things that go bump in the night. But they're not full jump scares, you know. Like I, I think mean, that they should do that, and then go eerie, creepy. Oh yeah, know? do that. Do like the eerie, and what's you know, not sure what's Hollywood, going on kind of thing. But well, the, yeah, what's sad with Hollywood is that now we're seeing a horror, and again, I mean, everything Wes Craven did, you know, we're seeing horror get PG, right? Like Poltergeist is like PG. Now there's rumors that the new It movie is going to be PG. Really. That's what I guess the studio was trying to go for. They're thinking about going for a PG or PG-13 rating. How does that work exactly? I don't know. But, I mean, my thing is just with Wes Craven is just such a genius. And the way that he made Freddy. I mean, literally, I don't think anybody who grew up in the 80s and the 90s, a lot of people know the whole Freddy theme song on top of their head. I think Freddy Krueger, I think, also has one of the most <laughs> he has one of those famous lines I think all cinema um, when you go back I forgot which Friday, which Nightmare on Elm Street it was but the scene and I don't know if you saw the movie James but the scene or the scene at least where he comes through a TV he says this is your big break welcome to prime time bitch and shoves a girl's head through the television set uh huh welcome to time welcome to prime time bitch is one of my favorite quotes and lines of all time it's Gotta one love of those, that. Oh, my God. They even said it. It's probably one of the most famous lines ever. But, again, uh, recipes Wes Craven. And, I mean, it's just – it's sad. It's really, really sad. You know, when when I saw that he died, I was actually at a concert when I saw the, the post um, that he died. It hit me hard, man. Like, celebrity deaths don't hit me that hard. This hit me really, really hard, dude. Well, I mean, when you're influenced by somebody like that, and as for somebody who was, you know, went to school for film, I mean, you pick your you pick your uh, influences, and he was one of yours. So I can I, mean, I could totally understand why it would affect you differently than it would me or somebody somebody else. So before we go on to our main topic, James, in our interview with, of course, the writers of the Paybacks, Donny Cates and Elliot Ray Hall, uh, favorite Wes Craven movie? Go. Ah. Uh, it's hard for me to not go with the original Nightmare on Elm Street just because being a purist uh, and somebody who wasn't a huge fan of a lot of the horror genre, that was one of the ones that I could go to and be like, you know what? This is interesting. And this, and this was such a different and cool story that he put together. So I'm sorry. I got to go with that. Uh, Well, it is easy to go with Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm actually, I'm actually going to go with last house on the left because, yeah, well, well, because there's a certain scene in the movie where, after the the killers pretty much get done, I mean it's thirty year old, so it's not spoiler, but you know uh, they get done pretty much torturing and raping this girl, and you know the, after the scene, they're seen picking the grass, everything else off their hands, and they're just looking at each other, they got blood on their face, and everything else, and they're seeing this girl just you know kind of crawl away, and they just look at each other like, what do we just do? Yeah, and it's that sense of realization. And just holy shit moment, like like it gave in, a, in, a, in the darkest time he gave certain dark characters, horrific characters, some sort of humanity, which was Definitely. just showed really great his strong point 
in directing. But again, rest in peace, Wes Craven. You were a, a master and just a, a fucking really, really good person overall. And just you, you've touched the lives of a lot of people. You've helped the build and start the careers of a lot of people. I mean, where would we really, where would Robert England, I think be today had not been for Wes Craven. Um, but that being said, we're, that's going to do it for nerd news. But come up next, we got the two writers from the paybacks on, of course, a new spoof kind of superhero parody, Mel Brooksy ish comic book from dark horse, which is freaking hilarious as all hell. Of course, our interview with Donnie Cates and Elliot Ray Hall come up next here on down and nerdy. Hey, what's up? This is Brandon Chap Robinson, the director of the Harley Quinn web series, and you're listening to the coolest nerds ever on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, there's a lot of humor books that have been coming out lately, but sometimes there's one that just stands out. Nick and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago. There was one that we really loved that we read called The Paybacks from Dark Horse Comics, and we've got the writers with us right now, Elliot Ray Hall and Donnie Cates. Donnie, Elliot, how you guys doing? Hey! Doing very doing well. well. Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. Again, thank you guys for coming on, spending some time with us. And uh, no, when we get, when we read the the paybacks, I mean, James and I literally were texting each other, laughing hysterically. Like there was parts of it where I was in fucking tears. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> well, because I'm a that's big Mel. Great. That's really nice to hear. Well, yeah, yeah that's great. Well, when I was reading it, I'm a big Mel Brooks fan, and I got a very Mel Brooks esque feel when I was reading it. Oh really? That's yeah. insane. Yeah. I mean, I've never, I, I've never. That's before. I mean, I'm also a big fan of Mel Brooks and, in general, Bush Belt humor. Uh, so that's that's pretty. That's a really high compliment. So thank you for that. Oh, you're very welcome. I think if, I think if Mel Brooks and us have anything in common is that we will, will never sacrifice a good joke, even if it doesn't make any sense. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but but sometimes that's what makes it funny too. So that's the good thing. I gotta know though. How did this? Uh, how did the idea for this series come about? Yikes! Uh, um, yeah. Uh, so uh, me and a friend of mine, Mark Rez, wrote a book called Buzzkill uh, a couple years ago, and it was a book that uh, we just really um, we had a ton of fun, kind of working in that in the a smaller version of like a Marvel sandbox, you know, like a big, a big box of toys with a bunch of heroes and stuff. And, um, you know, that, that book finished and everything, but like, it was such a weird thing that when you look back in, you know, with like 2020, it was so obvious because, um, this guy here, Elliot Rahal and I have been writing comics together for like five years or something. And he had always wanted to do this book called The Paybacks, and it was always going to be about that. And it, I mean, I I don't know when the first conversation. I mean, like there was no one conversation. You know, it was it was a series of small events that occurred um, that turned into really big events. Like, uh, I I mean, Donnie Donnie was right in the sense that like we were doing, we were working on this idea for a while, but. Eventually, with the success of Buzzkill, and with the type of idea that it was, uh, being the superhero book, and Johnny was talking about the sandbox of superheroes, the opportunity presented itself to fit it inside of the Buzzkill universe. And as a result, we were able to play even more and be a lot more creative. And not only that, sort of add on to uh, a 
sort of legacy of characters and, and really, really, really have a chance to actually build a world inside a world that already means something, which was really cool. Yeah, yeah and I don't really know. I mean, obviously, it, I think it probably comes from the fact that um, if you guys don't know, um, Elliot and I met at, uh, at Marvel, where we were both interns there. And I think just through conversations of, you know, two guys who love comics but are perpetually super broke, you know, I think, yeah. I think the, hey, the we idea know what that's the payback about. just, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, the, the idea of that came about and then like it was a couple of years later that I did the other book and, you know, I, I remember like having a conversation with, with Elliot and saying like, you know, who would be really dope on this team? Dr. Black. Like Dr. Black mm-hmm. would fit in well, but there's no, no really way to do that because Buzzkill's over. We were both just like, but, well, screw that. Like, let's just, <laughs> let's just <laughs> stay in that world, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and, and it really, I mean, and then, and then it really all clicked. It really all clicked. And then, it, and, and then the biggest thing that clicked was then going to Jeff Shaw, uh, who was the artist oh, yeah. on, um, on the last book. And was just like, do you want to keep playing in that world? And he was all about it. And and, luckily, uh, I would argue, I mean, with all the characters that we're incorporating from Buzzkill and some of the world there, there's lots of Easter eggs for readers, but, you know, Dr. Black and High God play prominent roles in this book, along with a few others, but, like, to me, what really makes this inside the world is, like, that same tone and, like, art and, like, just, like, amazingness that comes from Jeff. Definitely. Uh, oh, definitely. Like, Oh, definitely. And one thing about the art, too, is great is, you know, there's that, that big panel where a driver opens the back of the car, and it's just this huge, like, yeah. ballroom area, and it's beautifully done. So I got to ask you guys, uh, if you could turn the back seat or the trunk of your car into, like, any type of room or sanctuary, what would it look like? <laughs> oh, Lord. Do you know what's really sad for me is that, like, we, Johnny and I have taken, like, several trips together to really like beat out and like work on the big big story plots just to get in the same room together because it's a lot easier to be creative when you're in the same room than over the phone right Right. and uh like we were expressing our mutual love for conversion bands together <laughs> and like, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. like a conversion van with like a corn oil or a like solar powered engine. I know, I know. Wow. Uh, that I can stand up in and put like cool bunk beds and like stuff like that in like that. Like it's it's not like a bad cave. It's just like the worst it's just like your high school dropout friend. It's a so hobo romantic. It's just like, <laughs> I'm going to become a ski instructor kind of thing. And like, I've always wanted that. And like, the closest I think I'll ever get is right now in the paybacks to having like a really <laughs> cool van. Oh, it was funny. Well, said- uh, it, it, sorry. Well, it's funny you say that the whole oil thing, because actually when I was in um, high school, we actually... Tr- turned a car, I think it was a Mercedes, from a regular gas-powered into an actual, like, oil-based engine. That's awesome. If it was a van, it would have been even more awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, here's a, here's a... I don't think Elliot and I have actually ever talked about this on a podcast or anything, but um, um, 
actually the original like concept before anything was drawn or anything. The idea was for it to be a big rig. Um, really? But oh then, wow! But then, yeah. But then I did Ghost Fleet, um, and I was like, man, I don't, I don't really know if it's going to be great to have two books with like magical big rigs. And and we started talking. And we were like, well, what's what's as cool as a big rig? And it was Elliot. It was like, dude. Conversion van. (laughs) Like that's a very different kind of cool, but I'm way in. Yeah, like my buddy in high school, like my best friend Mike James. Donnie knows Mike James. Uh, He stood up at my wedding with with Donnie, and uh, in in high school, we had Mike James, and Mike James had a conversion van, and we called it the van, and it was amazing. (laughs) It had shag carpeting and like these bucket seats. And a copy of the movie Hardball? Yeah. Wow. Reeve. Wow. He was stuck in it. Yeah, he was stuck in it. So, like, we could watch TV, but we could only watch the movie Hardball. Oh, my God. So, what Elliot's saying is that he's been researching this book for most of his life. Oh, well, yes. I yeah. mean, it, it could have been worse. It could have been Speed, too. Yeah, it yeah, could have been Speed 2, although Willem Dafoe in Speed 2 is one of the coolest dudes in the world. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, the, the full title is Speed 2 Cruise Control. Yes, let's, let's not forget let's that. Get it right. Yes. Yeah, let's not, let's not forget the, the, the countless hours, man hours that were put so, into that film to give you long lasting <laughs> this is This is all starting to make sense, so now i got to wonder, would, would you have a giant unicorn painted on the side of the van? Of course, that's a really what? good question, uh, and and the and the really only good answer for it is absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it would be really maybe not on the side, but like on the back. So like when you open those double doors, like you know what I mean? Like it's like no, 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 no. No, the way to do it is to draw the in- or paint the entire van. There it like is. One. There it is. And, and on the hood. And have the horn coming out of the hood. Yes. yes. Entire van. Yes. That's a really great idea. Just make sure you measure it so you can go over, uh, go under underpasses. <laughs> You're definitely a way bigger horn than I am. But can you imagine yeah. just driving behind that on the highway, and it's like, oh my god, it's like an underpass. You're gonna drive through, and it just hits, and the horn just goes flying off in the traffic. But like, yeah. think of how many people you would drive by in like the suburbs or like anywhere specifically, and you see that rolling in, and you just know, oh, the coolest people in the world. Oh yeah! yeah oh absolutely! Yeah, yeah yeah! Oh yeah! Wow. It's, yeah. it's like it's like oh this is a bunch of, oh this is a kick ass party that's rolling down the road here. When you when you yeah. read the yeah. paybacks, you will understand why that unicorn thing is hilarious. I promise you that because unicorn yeah. actually plays prominent in the book. Yeah, he, is. he he. I I mean, I would like to think that 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 one particular scene uh, steals the entire sort of first issue. It is hands down my favorite part of the. Film. I was in tears. And, I was in tears. And and, yeah. and 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 let me just tell you guys, like, like almost everything. What I think what Elliot and I really really enjoy about this, and I don't want to speak for him, but I think I can here, is that like every time you guys or anybody who reads this book has a laugh know that you're sharing one with us because absolutely when we when we were on the phone and we came up with that idea and i and we came up with that one scene where he turns around and does the thing right we were both howling i mean we were crying on the phone and as a general rule of thumb on this book like if if elliot and i are cracking up it's going in the book 
Like no matter what it yeah. is, oh, yeah. it's going in the book. Oh yeah, well, so it's kind of like that—that that kind of rule of comedy where, like, if it makes you laugh, it's a good joke. And, oh yeah. And Elliot, speaking of you, uh, you yourself are actually—you do stamp, you do stamp as well. For, uh, how long have you been doing stand up for? By the way, I watched your videos on your website, and uh, your Barney Fife joke was goddamn hysterical. I want to tell you that right now. Oh, I'm glad, man. Those are such garbage videos, too. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. I'll take the compliment. Um, yeah, well, you uh, know, I got, um, and also I you know, you, I, I also wanted to ask you, um, who's your favorite person to open for as well? If you could open for anybody, who would it be? Oh, okay. Let me answer both these questions. Um, well, I, you know, I got comics and comedy are like, uh, had like intertwined in a really weird role for me. Uh, I started reading comics sophomore year of high school with uh, Garth Ennis' Punisher run, and I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do now. And I started reading, and then I started like, I started, like taking an occasional improv class, and uh, then I went to school in Chicago, mm-hmm. and I ended up becoming a cast member of this place called The Lincoln Lodge, which is the longest-running independent comedy showcase in the United States, and uh, I put in four years there, then I went to New York to interview Marvel, um, and that's where I met Donnie, and then we started writing together, so I mean, I started writing comedy before I started writing comics, mm-hmm. and then I've just kind of been doing both uh, ever since, because... I feel like I'm just like addicted to both, which is uh, not good to have like two two addictions like that. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, and because who doesn't like, read um, who doesn't read Punisher and think, "Yep, comedy." Yeah, right. Let's do both, and uh, hopefully, I can get the self respect. <laughs> but in terms of openers, I've had the opportunity to open for uh, some of the coolest comics in. You know, I've opened for Kyle Kinane, Hannibal Burris. Uh, I've opened for Cameron Esposito, TJ Miller. Uh, Deadpool? Uh, huh? Yeah, Deadpool. Deadpool's uh, Wade Wilson. Uh, right, no, no, not the other one. No. He's Weasel. No, yeah, he's Weasel. Weasel. He's Weasel, yeah. Uh, I would love to, I would love the opportunity to like, open probably for uh, Maria Banford. That would be pretty sweet. I, I really? love Maria Banford a lot. Uh, yeah, she's she's like a genius. Uh, Stone Cold genius. So, yeah. Did you, so did you see her? Uh, cool. Did you see her last special? I believe she. I believe her last special she did like in her parents' living room. Yes. Yeah, okay. the one where she did like just three people and it's her mom and her dad. I guess. Yeah, she's so just. A, I mean, she herself is a unicorn. Like she yeah. is so <laughs> unique and so good, and it's crazy. Yeah, it, I, I, uh, I remember, remember when we were um, in Manhattan, and uh, I had just met this dude, and he told me that he was a stand-up comic. Um, like, and I didn't see him perform for a long time. Like, we were already well into like being best friends and like working on comics together. And then he invited me out to see a stand up and I cannot tell you how relieved I was that he was actually really, really good. <laughs> I, was, I was prepared to be, because if he was horrible, I was going to be so bummed out. 
because I would have had to lie to him and tell him that he was great. Yeah. yeah. No, but he was so funny, and I was like, oh, thank God, he's talented. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so. it definitely it definitely shows through in the book, and like you said, you had a huge sandbox of characters to play with. So I got to ask. I know this is always a tough question, but do you guys have a favorite character in the series, and who would it be? Johnny, you want to go first? I, mean, I think I know what yours is. Um, mine, if I, um, weirdly enough, it's uh, it's the Soviet nunchuck for me. Nice. Um, <laughs> which. Is only because, like, um, a long, long, long time ago, this is around, like, 2007 or so, um, I ran a bunch of comic book stores here in Austin, mm-hmm. and um, and I kind of thought I was going to do that for my entire life, and then when they all shut down, um, I should say when I ran them into the ground, um, I kind of had to, like, reassess my whole life and was just like, what am I going to do? And I was like, well, I know comics. Like, I'm going to try and write comics. And the first thing I ever wrote, the first thing I ever created was the Soviet nunchuck. And, and I, for whatever reason, I like had a dream and woke up with those words in my head. I was like, the Soviet nunchuck, what the hell is that? What is that? That's so cool. And I vowed that day that, that, that like, I will put that in a book someday. And and just by virtue of this of this book, and I'm sorry for talking way too much for this answer, but like, no, it's fine. What really, what's really cool about this book is that, like, thematically speaking, these characters aren't strong enough to stay on their own. Not because they're shitty characters, but because of the plot of the book. These are characters that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. You know, like they didn't, they didn't, they didn't turn into the A-list Batman's and stuff. So it is a perfect book for like weird characters that. Elliot and I just like had thought of, but never had a place for. Yeah, it's they're kinda... perfect for this book. You know, yeah. like they're all like these misfits who aren't strong enough on their own, but together form something really, really great. So to me, it's 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 Chuck, uh, which is what we all call him. Um, and yeah, Chuck uh, Chuck's got a mysterious background in this book that. Um, if there's probably one character that we're in for like the long haul and like the long it's game Chuck. so far, it's Chuck. It's Chuck. Like oh, wow. you're gonna, he does. He has a crazy, crazy backstory, and there's things about him that make him unique amongst the other paybacks that you'll see later. That's all I can say right now. But yeah, my answer is Chuck. You know, I love them all. That's a cheap answer. But my favorite, uh, Donnie and I again, we took a sabbatical in Texas and uh, we actually went to Emory, Texas in Raines County, right? And Which is where Emory Raines comes from. Right? Yeah, um, but my favorite is Ski Squatch. Uh, Ski Squatch, it just goes back to a moment rather than a character. It's like an emotional moment. Um, yeah. Like Donnie and I, we were, we, were, we were laughing and talking and getting really excited about the story. And and we were like we need like we were like searching for a character like we wanted like a really cool character and like we were just trying to come up with something bonkers and uh, yeah and we had said that like well go well, well, we already have a bunch of humans like we had yeah. humans mm-hmm. and so I think uh, Donnie had come up with the idea well it was, like a sad class would be pretty cool and then we were like yeah but like there needs to be a twist on it and like we uh, for hours. For literally hours, trying <laughs> yeah. to like 
yeah. find a twist on like, oh, what would be a fun Sasquatch? And like, <laughs> Ski Squatch somehow slipped out of our mouths and we just started laughing. <laughs> and, and, oh, God. We just, we and then lost our we minds. We lost our minds. And then like, one of us said, oh, but it would be funny if he just snowboards and doesn't yeah. actually ski. And we thought that was hilarious. And, like, and also, was, like, he's not even a Sasquatch. He's clearly a Yeti. Right. He's like yeah. a snowboard yeah. Yeti named Ski Squatch. It doesn't make any sense. Great. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But, like, that, I don't know. I remember that that moment <laughs> very fondly. Yeah. And uh, as, a, as a result, that he's become my favorite character. I think... Specifically for that, like, emotional catharsis. Because that was, like, a lot of fun. And, like, you know, I don't know. That's yeah. when we knew we had a hit on our hands. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Elliot, you know, I follow you guys on Twitter. And, Elliot, you tweeted out a little while ago um, that you've never recovered on your own skin. That's why you were other people's help on the worst kind of murder. So this is going to be a weird-ass question. I'm going to preface that right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who do you think makes better skin suits, Leatherface or Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs? Jesus Christ, dude. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted. <laughs> I mean, They're asking the hard questions over here. Like, <laughs> hard questions. I mean, well, I mean, uh, who did the original? Uh, who did, was, that, was that Wes Craven? Was that the master? What? What, the no, Masters? To, Toby, Toby Hooper did the original Texas Chainsaw. That's right. What's crazy did the hell's her eyes? All right. Um, you know, in respect <laughs> to my friendship with Donnie, I am going to go with Buffalo Bill on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how is that respectful to me? <laughs> well, because we, 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 like to do, we like to do the Buffalo Bill voice. There's a respectful oh, answer? Are you, are, you, are you a very big fat person? Are you a very big fat person? That's true. We do enjoy doing that. Uh, um, I, I, yeah, I, I also, agree with uh, you, in though. general, Buffalo Bill skill is way higher. Like, he had Lance and shit, like... Yeah. <laughs> also, like, I'm not gonna lie, this is gonna sound pretty, uh, you know, at the risk of sounding kind of lame. Uh, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of, like, grindhouse horror. Like, I love horror. Like, I love most Wes Craven stuff, but I like the people under the stairs and stuff like that. I'm yeah. Not yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not a big fan of, like, the ultra-violence. Like, I like yeah. Freddy Krueger. I'm there with you, yeah. Um, but, like, you know, I like things like Pet Cemetery, and I like things like uh, Creep Show and stuff like that. I like but he's asking you as an artist, as an artist, who has, has the better craftsmanship, is what he's asking. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but I've just never, I've, just, I've never liked straight up violent horror or like the it's just violent like like hostile and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's yeah. never it's never been my cup of tea. Yeah, torture porn's not um, my yeah. so, but that's kinda lame I realize. But yeah, I, I have a Buffalo Bill <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Uh, so you guys deal with a lot of people with powers in this book. So I got to ask you, normally people say, what's your, what do you think the best superpower is? No. What is the shittiest superpower and why? 
of like existing people with powers or like off the top of our head? Off the top of your like, head. Okay. Yeah, uh, well, I can say this, and this is a, a, a raging debate between Elliot and I. So to go back to what I was saying earlier about how this, this book is kind of a home for misfit toys for like characters that wouldn't work anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Elliot has this character that he's been wanting to put in this book for a long time. And Elliot, do you mind? Uh, yeah, go ahead, man. It's the boiler. And his power is that he can boil water. Right? <laughs> he, can't, he can't control water or, like, create water. He can just boil it's it. Like, he's, like, and, he's like Cairo, but with water. Right. And here's the thing. Elliot thinks that's funny because it's a shitty power. But to me, that is a great power. Like, people are 70% water. You could just kill anyone. Aquaman would that's be like, screwed. Like, the way I imagine it is that, like, you know, it depends on the surface area and the volume of the water. Like, I imagine this character having, like, like pyro tanks on its back, but they're, like, just super soaker tanks. Right. And, like, he's spraying water, and, like, that's really hot. But, like, if he's in, like, a pool or something, like, he can't just instantly boil it. He's got to, like... Sit there and like keep the hands in the water. So it's only like a so it's only like a relative distance that's around him. This is yes, oddly it's specific. Not relative, yes, it, it's just it depends on the volume and mass of the water. So if it's like okay. a spray, well, if it's like a, yeah, it, so if it's like if it's a spray, like a super soaker spray, like you could melt your face. To like the bone, right? Which is right. Super hot. Like but if he's like, it's like the reason. What if? Hey, what if the reason why the polar ice caps are melting oh is because God. some guy is just standing in the water, <laughs> trying diabolically trying to flood the world? Uh, all right. Well, that's. But see, like, the problem with that is that it's so shitty that it like, comes all the way back around to being amazing. So, yeah, like, that's, that's the, the key, I think, to the paybacks, that what makes them endearing is that, okay, we have a lot, a lot of vigilantes, but, like, you know, in comics, every time there's a cool vigilante or, like, a cool detective, it's like, okay, well, what's exactly is different about like this detective versus like the question mm-hmm. or the fucking uh, Batman or whatever like that. And like generally the answer is like, oh, not that much. So like we took like a hyper-local lens at it. It's like, okay, like who's the detective of like London and like is he night good night. enough to, yeah, it's night-night and is he good enough to make it on a national scale? Like Zoe He's Spoiler alert! No, he's not. Yeah, he's not. He's <laughs> the vigilante of of Detroit, but like, Detroit. you know, there's vigilantes everywhere. There's powers everywhere, but not every. Like one of my favorite powers, I think that we came up with was a the uh, guy by the name of One Shot. Oh yeah, and One Shot is Australian, uh-huh. uh, and he's kind of like Kano, right? Uh, and he's got a cannon on his arm. And like an organic like cannon, like it's like it's yeah, an organic thing. cannon. Yeah, and like if he targets you, 
like no matter where you are or no matter how far you run or whatever, like that bullet that he fires from his cannon, which is like super like cable stuff, like mm-hmm. it's going to find you and it's going to kill you. But the but. thing is, is that you can only fire one bullet every half hour. Wow. Like, because it takes a half hour to recharge. And, like, so it's so great as an assassin. Yeah, it's great as an assassin, but, like, he's terrible in a fight. Yeah. Because yeah, he's kind of constantly in his refractory period. Yeah. He's got to eat a sandwich and get some Gatorade. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, really quick, just to, just to put a cap on this, there, uh, one shot has not made it into the book yet, but a character that has made it into the book that is really dumb is there's this character um, and you'll see him in like issue three or so. Um, all of the hair on his body, like his arm hair and his chest hair yeah. is like really razor sharp. Right. And so he can like pull his arm hair off and throw it at you and it'll like kill you like a porcupine. <laughs> so, right? it's like, so, it's um, like, so it's like Zangief kind of in a sense. Well, if Zangief had razor hair. Yes. <laughs> right? Um, and his name, and, and if you ask him, he says, well, that's why they call me the prick. And everyone's nice. like, that's oh, not wow. why they call you the prick. Yeah, they call him the prick because he's a dick. Yeah, he's a nice. Yeah. Oh, my God. So one more question before we wrap up with you guys. Oh, my God. The answer is you guys again so far. We both have tears in our eyes. are fucking hilarious. I'm glad. That's um, great. Good. Um, so in issue one, Zoe sees the phrase payback's a bitch written on the wall. When can readers expect to see who wrote that? And without spoiling anything, who is the person responsible inspired by in a sense? Well, I think we should just spoil the entire thing. Let's just do it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there you go. Really? No. No, no, not at all. Uh, um, uh, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty heavy plot-related question, so we, can't, we yeah. have to be careful about this. Okay. I'll, say, I'll, I'll explain it like this, and I'm actually, I'm actually kind of uh, piggybacking off of something that Elliot said to me um, recently, um, which is that without even kind of realizing it a lot of the times, Mm-hmm. Elliot and I are really influenced by Joss Whedon and, um, and specifically Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first episode of every new season would end with, like, the reveal of, like, who this season's big bad is going to be. But then, after that, there might be five episodes where they don't get back to it, you know? Right. Like, it's just something that's happening in the background that's just building up and building up. So, yeah. you know, I think a lot of comics these days, at least, will, they kind of structure for trades, meaning that every four issues is like a, is like a one-and-done storyline, right? It's like, right, it's like four, right. Every four, four issues. And while we definitely have that, um, the, the storyline of who is behind that event is more of a, um, a grand overarching plot a la, like, the X-Files, like, um, you know, yeah. like, like, the, like the overarching plot of the X-Files of, like, government conspiracies and aliens and stuff. So Yeah, I mean, and, like, it, it, it starts, it start, we, we chip away at it uh, for the first few issues, like, giving you more and more and more, but at the same time, there are other bads to deal with. And then yeah. um, something that we 
really want to do in this book that we feel isn't exactly always done correctly in a lot of comic books and superheroes is uh, the word consequences. Um, yeah. There are there are consequences in this book, uh, mm-hmm. and not just like oh, someone died or somebody got broke up. With it's like actions, even the smallest stuff means something later. You know, somebody like hit a, on yeah. the head. Like a butterfly. Yeah. They're fact. not just. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I, you know what? I'm going to stop there because I'm giving away. Well, but no, you're you're saying exactly right, Elliot. I mean, um, like because to 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 have this book be be full of like deaths that people come back from, or you know, things that just happen would kind of under would kind of undermine, undermine. the like the basic concept of the book. Because when the mm-hmm. book opens, we are already dealing with the consequences of these heroes. They are. They are in their right. third act, all of them. You know, they've all, yeah. they've all, they've all had that they're like, they're like, um, origin story and they've had like their, 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 their second act, but now it's over. Like this is the yeah. end of the line for all of them. And so I think what Elliot's talking about is like, you're, you're going to see things come up and then maybe not talked about for a little while, because what's really cool about this team that kind of separates them from like, you know, say like your X Men or stuff like that, is that they have a nine to five job that they have to do every day. So there's a job they don't up, want to do, and they don't want to do, and that the person who's in charge actively dislikes them and doesn't care about them. Right. You know, and, and is so, generally considered, I wouldn't say evil, but considered scum. Scum. Yeah, yeah in the rest of your community. And so, like, yeah, some crazy shit happened, but the next day they, they all have to get up and go to work, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, nice. so, so you're going to see things pop up, and we're not going to get back to them for a while, but just know that we're playing the long game on a lot of yeah. stuff, and that everything is on purpose, and everything does have consequences. And, and just to add in one last thing, you know, the benefit of doing this is that with a lot of superhero books, it's like, look at these cool superheroes we've made, and it's like, okay, well, why do I care? And with how we decided to tell our story, we leave enough room to give you the care about our heroes. And uh, it's really important for the telling of the book because if something happens to one of them, it's supposed to be an emotional shock. It's not just supposed to be some sort of cool explosion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. So, for anybody who doesn't already follow you, which is a huge mistake, where can they follow you guys on social media? Uh, for me, it's just at Elliot Rahal, and, you know, friends with Press Play on Facebook. I don't know. I have an Instagram, but I don't know how to use it. Nobody does. Yeah, we're we're actually putting together an, an Instagram right now just for the payback, uh, and that'll be going up decently soon. Um, yeah. I'm, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm at Don Cates uh, at, on Twitter. Um, but also I wanted to mention this here because Elliot and I are bad about thinking of everything that we should talk about. Um, everyone should go and follow at Dr. Black on Twitter. Oh yeah. Because once the book starts coming out, Dr. Black will actually be answering all of your emails and everything ah. that you write in. And yeah, he'll be letter there. Out. yeah but more than, than, than that, He's there to take your medical and health questions as well. Yeah. Oh, and excellent. Any question dark, you have is on the table. 
Oh, well, yeah. then oh, screw, God, screw God. Obamacare. <laughs> Dark Horse would like us to mention that in no way whatsoever is Dr. Black a real medical professional. He's not a life professional. should well, not well, be taken at all. Well, screw Obamacare. I'm, I'm good now. I'm good. Nah, I, I, I got yeah. it covered. I got it covered. So, other than the fact that we love people to, we would love people to give you their money. We want to let people know. Add it to your poll now. The paybacks actually hit your local shops on September the sixteenth. If you've laughed at all at anything that was said today, you are gonna love this series from Elliot Ray Hall and Donnie Cates. Guys, thank you so much for being on with us this week. Thank, thank you. you guys. Uh, yeah, it's been fun. Boy, I'm not gonna lie, dude. I still can't catch my breath. I have I'm tears. Laughing too hard. I'm sweating. It's just, oh gosh! <laughs> I'm I'm never gonna make pasta the same way. I'm never gonna look at making pasta the same way again. No, me neither. <laughs> I just can't do it. Oh gosh! I mean, oh, seriously, man. if you haven't pre-ordered this book yet at your local shop or at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach, you want to read the paybacks. I'm sorry, uh, we're not overselling this. No, this is funny it's, stuff. It's funny shit. And again, thanks to Donnie and Elliot for coming on and. You know, yeah, I mean, this is one easily, easily one of my new favorite series that's coming out. And Dark Horse, man, they're just kicking ass, dude. Uh, but that's going to do it for this week's edition of Down Nerdy Podcast. And thank you for listening to us every week, where you, wherever you are, whether you're here in America or you're somewhere over in Egypt or Europe, for example, where we have a lot of fans and listeners. Um, so there are ways you can get us on social media. You can always go on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Down Nerdy. You can also go on Twitter at Down Nerdy 757, I'm at Merkel with an arm, James. I'm at James Ace with them. And of course, you can find us online at downandnerdypodcast.com. You can find out where you can listen to all the shows from, from our past. Also, we have a This Week section that talks all about what's going on this week on the show. You can find our social media stuff there. And contact us. Anything that you need, you can find it downandnerdypodcast.com. That's right, James. And also, we have a toll-free number you can call anytime. If you have a question or a fan comment, you want to be on the show, hey, call in. And when you call in, you're going to get the sound of James's voice. And it's going to be a voicemail. Just leave your question and comment after that. And, hey, who knows? We'll probably lay it on the show for you. So all you got to do is call a toll-free number anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's 757-512-8229. Again, downerdypodcast.com. Um, again, also, we have our own online stores powered through Amazon. Go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash down nerdy. Click the shop button. It'll take you right to our page where you can buy a bunch of shirts and gear and DVDs and everything else. Hey, Flash Season 2 is coming up. Go out and go to our store and get the first season of Flash on DVD, Blu-ray if you're all that fanciness. So with that being said, I'm going to leave you with this as I always do. Press safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.